This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Beta. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Rosenthal. Uh, Dr. Rosenthal is a psychiatrist. He is the new co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, uh, publisher of A Course in Miracles. His uh, latest book, From Plagues to Miracles. Bob, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today. Oh, truly my pleasure. Uh, thanks to you guys. Uh, Bob, um, you're now the co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, which uh, publishes The Course in Miracles. And um, I'm, we want to talk about A Course in Miracles. Uh, I know a lot of people have heard about it and will be curious uh, but uh, before we do, maybe you can uh, tell us a bit about your own personal background and how you came uh, to be interested in A Course of Miracles and uh, for, uh, as a psychiatrist and psychotherapist. Yeah, absolutely, um, and it is an interesting story. Um, a Course in Miracles entered my life before its actual publication <clears throat> back in, uh, at, at the end of 1975. My college roommate and best friend, um, his mother, uh, a woman named Judith uh, Scutch at the time, now Judith Whitson, was introduced to the two uh, scribes who brought it into the world and um, and was basically instrumental in its publication and continues. You know, she was the president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, so she, you know, orchestrated and spearheaded all the 25 translations to date, four more in the works. Uh, so when she came upon it, we already knew each other. She knew I was on a spiritual path, uh, even at the age of 1920. Uh, her son was not, and she said, I've got this thing I want to show you. So I really got a, uh, a very early look at it. And then by chance, and of course we know synchronicity is not chance, but um, by chance I was taking physics at Columbia over the summer of 1976 and spent the entire month of June living out of their apartment in New York City, which coincided with the publication of the course. So during that month, um, Bill Thetford and Helen Schuckman, the two channels, who, well, the channel and her uh, assistant, if you will, who brought it in, um, were around all the time. I, you know, became very good friends with Bill, and that continued until he died in 1988. Um, Bill and Helen were psychologists at um, Columbia Presbyterian um, College of Physicians and Surgeons. We had the psychological background in common. Um, Bill, you know, was very happy I got my MD, so I really entered the field of medicine already. Uh, a dedicated student of A Course in Miracles. That said, I don't think I ever would have foreseen taking on this role. In fact, I was asked if I had any interest about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, and uh, very vociferously said, nope, not me, babe, uh, not yeah. interested. But funny how things come around. You know, I ended up writing From Plagues to Miracles, I began doing a lot more speaking and teaching in, you know, about A Course in Miracles. And uh, when it came around again, it didn't even seem like a choice. It was a very natural evolution. Mm -hmm. Bob, and I am... Yes, go ahead. Yeah. 
So finish up. Yeah. I was just going to say, and I am working uh, with Judy's daughter, Tam, who is my, my co-president. We've known each other since, you know, since I was 19 and she was 16. Uh, so, you know, and have different realms of expertise. So I feel very confident in that. Great. But Bubba, I, I, your story is a fascinating one to me because uh, you had exposure to A Course in Miracles. It was something that obviously affected your life. You, you obviously gained benefit from it. And then you went and became a psychiatrist. Now, becoming a psychiatrist, for listeners that don't know, this is a, a big mountain to climb because you're a medical doctor, then you specialize in psychiatry. I'm going to guess it's a six or eight or whatever uh, number of years to get there. Uh, and when you're a psychiatrist, obviously you have a lot of tools that you, where you could potentially uh, help people. You, you're a therapist that talks and interviews people. Yep. And, councils, but at the same time, you can give medications and whatnot. How did you, uh, did you feel any conflict with what you were learning, uh, becoming a psychiatrist, and what you knew from Course in Miracles? And how have you integrated A Course of Miracles into your, and you know, you did have a private practice in psychiatry. How did you integrate that into your uh, psychiatric practice? That is a great question. So yes, as a psychiatrist, I did four years of medical school and then a four-year residency specifically focused in psychiatry uh, before going out into the world, uh, you know, at the tender age of 30. Um, <laughs> I have, you know, A Course in Miracles is a metaphysical philosophy that really is all about who are you? Who are you in truth? What is the, the real nature of the self? And in that respect, it's it aligns very, very well with um, Eastern uh, spiritual traditions, with Gnosticism, uh, with the mystical traditions of all of the Western religions. Bill Thetford called it the Christian Vedanta. It uses Christian terminology, but it redefines all of the uh, terms of Christianity, giving them very, very different meanings. So son of God, sin, the atonement, all of these buzzwords that cause most of us to just shake our heads and run, um, are, are given very, very different meanings. So I always had an interest in the mind. Um, when I applied for medical school, I wrote my essay about why I want to be a psychiatrist, and my uh, pre-med advisor uh, at the Yale Medical School sort of said, very well written, very nice, you just got to get the psychiatry stuff out of there, because every surgeon on the admissions committee will tell you, you know, forget it. Uh -huh. uh, but psychiatry was where I was headed, and it was because of this interest in the mind. So A Course in Miracles is looking at mind and defining it. Um, what a lot of people don't know about um, Bill Thetford and Helen Shuckman is their life work at Columbia was to develop the personality assessment scale, which was a very elegant psychometric system for looking at and measuring, um, well, not really measuring, more like the Myers-Briggs, categorizing different styles of adaptation um, depending on how one responded at different developmental stages of their lives. So this, you know, uh, it, we, we joke that Bill and Helen were masters of, of studying and dissecting ego before they brought through this metaphysical system that says ego is nothing, you know, ego is the interloper, the imposter that mm -hmm. we all identify with. Bob, now, in yeah, maybe we should back up just a little bit for the sake of listeners who uh, may have heard the term, of course, in miracles, but don't know anything about it. And maybe you could uh, describe 
uh, or explain its origins and what it consists of so uh, we can place it in a proper context, how it came to be, and so forth. Sure. So um, in the mid-1960s, uh, Helen and Bill were working as psychologists in the very um, intensely competitive environment of, you know, Columbia, PNF, physicians and surgeons. And Bill, I mean, this is apocryphal, for course, I mean, not apocryphal, this is like the archetype of, uh, of, of how A Course in Miracles came to be. Bill turned to Helen one day and said, you know, I'm sick of all of the backbiting and the competition. There has to be a better way, another way. And Helen said, to his surprise, I'll help you find it. They'd had a very contentious relationship themselves. Um, Helen was in love with Bill. Bill was homosexual. Um, you know, just constant fighting. People who were around them at the time said being in the room with them um, was like, you know, uh, just strife. And, and yet, the moment she agreed to help him, she started having very interesting dreams and visions. And about three months later, she heard a voice, although she describes it more as mental thought impressions, that said, this is A Course in Miracles, please take notes. Seven years later, she had um, channeled, uh, although not sleeping channel, not like Edgar Casey. she was conscious, she was aware this was not automatic writing. <clears throat> she brought through um, what is now a 1,249-page work uh, consisting of a you know, 668-page, nine-page textbook, a workbook for every uh, year of the day, uh, and a manual for teachers, <clears throat> and then two supplemental works. So this, this played out over a long period of time. Um, the course itself can be, it can, in its own words, it condenses into three lines. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. So explaining that, it's saying that only God, and this is not an anthropomorphized God, this is not, you know, some guy in a white beard and a robe in heaven making judgments. Only God exists. The essence or nature of God is beingness, awareness, and love. Um, and anything that is not that is perforce illusion. And this is where, you know, it's a non-dual system, uh, such as the Upanishads would promulgate, in that it maintains God did not create this world. God is not responsible for this world. There was a split, uh, a separation that cannot be because oneness can't become two-ness or multiplicity. Um, but in our minds, the mind of what the Course calls sort of the unitary son of God, we believe we split, and therefore we see this world that is just a plethora of contrasts, contradictions, clashing goals, uh, where we are physical bodies separated from each other and ultimately doomed to die. Yep. The Course says, no, your true nature is, is a oneness that all of our fellow humans are united with us in that oneness, not through our bodies, but through a commonality of mind. And then it sets about in a very systematic way to uh, help us learn that. Uh, Bob, Bob um, let me interrupt you for a second, yeah. because uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm personally fascinated by this. And, uh, and, but I'm trying to understand it uh, more deeply. And uh, so you're presenting something that in some ways I've heard before about non-duality. It's a different angle on it. But what is of most interest to me is 
if you want somebody to benefit from this and want them to really embrace it and integrate it into your life, it's one thing for them to, to, to hear this and say, well, that resonates or that doesn't resonate with what I'm thinking. How, you know, what is the, uh, the, the uh, spiritual practice or what do you give somebody to do to actually uh, incorporate, to make this more than just a philosophy they're reading or hearing about that actually brings it into their life? Well, the workbook uh, of the course is, to me, the heart of it. And okay. it sets out a lesson for each day of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, the first lesson is nothing I see. Actually, I, I, I could you know, pull it up uh, as, uh, even as we speak. But the opening lessons go right after what it would call, you know, the illusionary nature of reality. Nothing I see in this room, from this window, in this place, etc., means anything. I've given everything I see all the meaning it has for me. Uh, lesson three, I do not understand anything I see. So the workbook really um, gives one a framework in a bite-sized way for shifting a worldview that is dependent on perception, that believes in cause and effect, uh, to one of guidance, essentially, and letting go. The Course says our task is not to, um, not, not to try to find love, because love is natural, it exists. The, the goal is to remove the obstacles that block us from the awareness of its presence. And what I would say to someone about, well, you know, why would I do that? This, and this, this is actually the, uh, the topic of uh, a book I'm working on right now, um, which will be called From Nevermind to Evermind, uh, is that if you start from the premise of a false sense of self, a sense of self that's grounded in, 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 in illusion, and I, as a psychiatrist, I can address that as well, then you can't ever get to those states of mind and goals that we all say we want, like happiness, joy, um, peacefulness. Uh, we get to them temporarily, but they always fall apart. You know, you can be in a great relationship, mm-hmm. but it has its ups and downs. <clears throat> There's nothing in the world of form that is abidingly peaceful, abidingly loving, um, and that's where the Course wants to take us. When we're using, let's call it the operating system of the genuine self, um, then we get miracles, hence A Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. But The Course redefines miracles. Miracles are just the alignment of the physical world in such a way that we're following our path back to oneness. Um, You know, the right people show up to help us Mm -hmm. do that. We're there to help them as well. We all go together. It's a very um, holographic system where the change takes place relationship by relationship, and yet as each relationship moves more into love and forgiveness, and again, the Course defines forgiveness differently too, uh, forgiveness, the letting go of everything that we thought someone may have done to us. Uh, As we move into that, miraculous events occur, but that's not the reason to do it. I mean, the Course is very very specific that miracles aren't spectacles to induce belief. it's fascinating because as you describe it, and um, I've heard others do as well, um, it does sound very consistent with the uh, non-dual teachings of uh, Vedanta and um, certain schools of Buddhism and so forth. Um, and so I'm curious about uh, Helen and what her orientation 
uh, spiritual orientation uh, was at the time she received this, and whether uh, it came as a, <laughs> as a total shock to her, yep. or she was she did she have an orientation that was compatible with it? Um, she was born Jewish to parents who. Well, were that explains Jewish. everything. <laughs> uh, but parents who were completely non-practicing. She was raised by a nanny who was Catholic, I believe, had a fascination with Catholicism as a kid, but by the time she got through graduate school, she was a devout atheist. Mm. So mm. this came in with, um, you know, Richter 9-level earthquake repercussions. She had tons of resistance to it, and that's where Bill came in. He was much more interested in Eastern philosophies, um, he had, uh, was, was interested in the Edgar Cayce work. Um, he was more comfortable with this idea of, let's call it, revealed wisdom. Mm -hmm. And he provided a framework for her. I mean, in fact, she said, you know, what should I do? You know, this voice is telling me to take notes, and, you know, I think I'm going crazy. And he said, well, why don't you take the notes, bring them in, we'll look at them in the morning together, nobody needs to know, and if it's crazy, well, then we'll deal with that. And, of course, what came through wasn't crazy, and he helped her to continue. Um, I think of Helen and Bill a little bit like uh, Frodo and Sam in Lord of the Rings. You know, Frodo's the ring bearer, but without <laughs> Sam, he's uh -huh. never going to make it. And, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> hey, Bob, uh, you, this all started for you in, uh, in 1975. I think you said Christmas Eve, 1975. Yes. You were 20 That's years right. old. You're, you're studying... Uh, you're in the direction of becoming a, a psychiatrist. Well, uh, during that, uh, back in those days, I was, uh, maybe a little before then, I was uh, studying uh, uh, clinical psychology, and I got involved in meditation, in, in transcendental meditation. And a lot of the, my colleagues, and, and certainly a lot of my, the people I was studying with, felt this was a bit off the wall, and it was just like, it was, there wasn't a lot of receptivity back in the, that time. I'm going to think, uh, I, you know, uh, that you ran into the same type of resistance, maybe even more from colleagues, from faculty, from people that you were working and studying with. Were you open about what you were doing and practicing and Course in Miracles back then? And, no. And, or you kept it to yourself? Uh, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I was <clears throat> very much in the closet with Course in Miracles. I figured that it would, um, mm -hmm. you know, create nothing but conflict. When I mean, I, I first started working while I was in college, and I was an English major in college. That was actually much less conflict because right. I could apply that template to you know mm -hmm. what I was reading. And but once in medical school and residency, um, well, let's put it this way: in my first year of residency, I read the uh, GAP report, the Group for the Advancement of Psychiatry report on mysticism, where they um, went in and looked at all of the various mystics from all the various traditions and concluded that this was, you know, some form of uh, insanity, psychosis, uh, that was culturally sanctioned. And based on that, I thought, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Good. In my personal Smart. psychotherapy, I brought it up, but, you know, my therapist wasn't that interested in it. And I had mm -hmm. other things to work on, you know, mm -hmm. like a tough marriage or, you know. <laughs> right. But speaking of uh, bringing it into psychotherapy, one of the... Um, um, questions I had for you was in your subsequent work as a clinician uh, how did you how did the course inform your uh, therapy practice 
and how did you, um, if at all, how did, how did it affect how you dealt with patients? Um, first and foremost, it impacted me and how I entered the room. I, as a result of the course, I believe, and perhaps temperament as well, was able and I'm still able to be extremely non-judgmental. So, you know, it becomes possible to sit with someone who's committed horrible acts or someone who's been through um, hellish childhood abuse and hold a framework of love, acceptance, compassion. So I would say that was, you know, first and foremost. But, and this segues to my book, From Plagues to Miracles, I also know, you know, we're living within this world of form, this, you know, illusionary world, according to the Course. Um, but we, this is where we are. You know, you've got to start where you are. And in, in my book, I make the point very clearly that any small, seemingly small change that takes us from fear or moves us from fear towards love from any form of bondage, uh, whether that's addiction, a terrible relationship, uh, enslavement to a goal that really isn't serving you, any time that we free ourselves from that, we are doing spiritual work. It may not look like it. So while I'm sitting in my office doing psychotherapy, and I was primarily a psychotherapist, I did use medication um, you know, where necessary, but I saw myself primarily as a therapist, um, wherever we make those changes, we're doing spiritual work. We're bringing people closer to their, their true sense of oneness, um, removing strictures that can then allow more light, love, peace, happiness to come into their lives. So I saw the whole process as very much um, a spiritual path. I also did a great deal of mind-body work. I worked in the area of chronic pain for a number of years, and um, so I had a lot of overlap with physical medicine. So ultimately, I would view the majority of physical um, elements through the same lens. Not that they're unreal um, and not, well, with pain patients, uh, they'd come in because they'd be referred. Their you know, orthopedic surgeon would say, ah, your pain's all in your head. And I'd say, of course it's in your head. Where do you experience it? It's the brain that experiences it. But, you know, if we can't address the pain itself, we can work on the suffering that arises from that pain, teaching meditation, teaching relaxation, mm -hmm. um, reframing it, etc. So for me, psychotherapy was absolutely um, a spiritual path, uh, a healing path, and one in which I could help someone else. And in the process, as any good psychotherapist knows, your own issues walk in through the door um, and you've got to do your own inner right. work to stay a step or two ahead of where your patients are. Right. Um, and when I've supervised uh, residents in the past or other therapists, you know, this comes up all the time. Right. But Bob, so we I are to, teaching yeah. as we learn, right. uh, learning as we teach. Sorry. I, I first became familiar with Course in Miracles through Marianne Williamson, one of the people that helped popularize it. We've had her on our show. Uh, but what, what I wanted to uh, ask you was um, how do you – uh, obviously, you're somebody who uh, has benefited greatly from A Course in Miracles, and I assume would like to share it with other people. How does the organization that you represent, uh, Foundation for I Inner Peace, uh, what do you see as a way to uh, get this out to people, have more people find out about it? Uh, is it something that you could eventually see integrated into educational settings, even on the, uh, the high school level or college level? Uh, 
what what would be the way that you would see uh, really uh, uh, spreading this uh, uh, knowledge that uh, you you've you've gotten that has been encapsulated in the Course of Miracles? Um, as a course student of over forty years, what I've learned and what the foundation practices is that we don't know. Um, we ask for guidance mm -hmm. and people show up. As I said, it's been translated into 25 different languages thus far. Not one of those was um, instigated by the Foundation for Inner Peace. Everyone, a translator, shows up, says, I'd like to do this. We say, are you sure? Okay, here's a sample chapter. We get it vetted for fluency. Um, we work with the translator to help make sure they understand the material. You know, if they've been working with it six months, they're probably not going to understand the material. Um, so I can answer that from a perspective of what I think might be emergent, but it's always, you know, marked with a little asterisk subject to spiritual um, approval and guidance because sometimes you think it's going in one direction and then suddenly you realize that isn't where it was supposed to be at all. Um, our specific mission statement came from Helen, who channeled the, you know, the name Foundation for Inner Peace, and our specific um, function is to publish, disseminate, and discuss uh, A Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. So um, disseminate, yep, that's the languages, that's getting it out there. It is quite international now. Surprisingly, we have a, a big following in um, mainland China although with um, Xi Jinping uh, regime, uh, there's, they've turned much more hostile to uh, spiritual systems like the Course. Uh, so I think we continue to do some of that. I can see it evolving where there are kind of semi-autonomous centers throughout the world that all are you know, linked to us. Um, there are already hundreds of books about A Course in Miracles. You know, I could see a sort of a central clearinghouse for some of those, but without making any judgments. I mean, we can't be in a position and don't want to be in a position of anointing, you know, Marianne Williamson or Gary Renard or one course teacher while saying, oh, you know, but this other one we're not going to carry. As happened in early Christianity, there are already doctrinal splits. There are different <laughs> versions of the course. So it's, it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. <laughs> Shocking. But <laughs> speaking of Christianity... Jacob uh, Needleman said, uh, professor of religion out here, yeah. what took it so long? <laughs> really, really. Um, well, it's only 40 years. Yeah, um, exactly. The, um, uh, speaking of Christianity, the language of the Course, and I think in many people's minds who have not read it or know much about it, it sounds like a Christian um, offshoot because, and, and I think much of the language is Christian and, and people think of it, and I don't know if this was the claim, uh, but that the voice that was being channeled was that of Jesus. Um, but as you said in the opening, you have, or it has, a very different understanding of of Christian uh, doctrine or language and the person of Jesus. Can you go into that a little bit? You, you mentioned, for example, concepts like son of God and yes. sin. Maybe you could use those as examples. Great examples. 
So, um, yes, the voice, as Helen called it, um, with a capital V, told her it was Jesus. Throughout the course, um, the, 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 the author, the narrator, talks about um, passages from the Bible, things that happened. He makes the point, uh, for example, in talking about the crucifixion, um, he says, you know, I wasn't punished because you were bad. I was just giving a very dramatic example of the unreality of the body. Mm. The resurrection wasn't a special case. It's what's available to everyone. And I said as much, you know, that you will do even more than me. Mm. So in terms of um, the Son of God, whereas traditional Christianity, conventional Christianity would say Jesus was the one and only Son of God, and the path to heaven is belief in him and belief in no one else, the Course would say, no, Son of God is the oneness of the original offspring, if you will, of God that fractured into billions and billions of separate shards of consciousness, which is very congruent with Kabbalistic teaching, um, and that that oneness still exists. Therefore, you are all son of God, and from our pluralistic perspective, sons of God. Sin, then, is not anything we do that's bad. God doesn't know about this world in that way. God doesn't judge it. Sin is illusion, and when we become lost in illusion, you know, uh, sin is insanity. I mean, the course coming from two psychologists says, no, you're insane. You've bought into a very tightly knit delusional system, uh, and tight knit delusional systems do not allow you to look at the evidence that would show you that it's not real. Um, you know, when you work with the paranoid patient who's sure the FBI is following him, you know, he behaves in ways that eventually get the FBI to follow him. And if you try to point any of that out, now he doesn't believe it. The FBI was after him all along. So, um, you know, by doing these reframes, no, sin is just insanity. Um, the atonement isn't making up for sin. The atonement is the master plan by which what the Course calls the Holy Spirit, um, which is sort of a transducer, it's uh, a, a bridge between our small minds and the world that we see ourselves living in, and the one reality of, of God's Spirit. Uh, and so, you know, people think of, people like to think of the Holy Spirit as a person. I, I think it's much more, I, I, I liken it to a software patch. You know, we're running a faulty software system, but there's this patch, and when we apply it to any situation, which is what the Course would call forgiveness, that situation sort of autocorrects, and we see it in a different way. We literally perceive it differently. People who we thought were enemies, um, we suddenly realize, you know, their own hurt, their own pain, and can be compassionate and loving towards them. Uh, and they behave differently towards us. So when we apply that software patch that the Course calls Holy Spirit, suddenly our world of perception begins to shift and change in ways that, you know, you can't deny that maybe we are all insane here. And if you look mm -hmm. at the state of the world and the state of the country and what's happening in the current election. Um, I don't know. I think insanity is a pretty good term for it. Bob, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to follow up on that for just a moment. I'm working on a biography of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm. And one of the things he did uh, back in the, you know, before the days of The Course in Miracles was reinterpret 
Jesus and uh, the Gospels and, and all that. And one of his, uh, uh, what I thought was a, a kind of a, a bold leap, was to equate uh, sin, well, to equate actually Satan uh, with Maya, the, the uh, Upanishadic mm-hmm. uh, concept of Maya as uh, the sort of trick, uh, yes. cosmic trick or illusion. Does that consistent with what you just were saying? Um, the course only references the devil um, once or twice, doesn't get overly involved with that. But yes, it would very definitely agree that, that sin is illusion, is maya. Um, you know, it, it's completely consistent with, you know, at least the first two noble truths of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. You know, life is dukkha, suffering, dissatisfaction, and dissatisfaction is caused by thirst. So in that sense, um, the tempter, Maya, you know, that keeps us in the wheel of samsara would be the idea that I'm going to find happiness here. You know, right. I'm that drunk looking for my keys under the, the, the street lamp because that's where there's light, not that's where I lost them. Right. So I'm going to try another relationship when they fail. I'm going to get another job. I'm going to try to make more money. I'm going to be more famous, you know, what have you. And I think you know, this is why spiritual non-dual philosophies and A Course in Miracles in general are more appealing to older people. I mean, when the Course came into my life, it, it, it knocked me over, and I, I, I had a number of fairly miraculous experiences, which is why I make, stayed a student, but at a head level, I was like, what is this? You know, I want what the Course calls a special relationship. You know, I want to be successful. I want all these things. I haven't experienced them yet. And, you know, at some point you go through them, but that's, that's the temptation. I mean, right now for me, it might be, ooh, look, you're the co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace. You know, you get to determine the course of uh, how A Course in Miracles gets promulgated. No, this is just where I find myself. And the, the course is very, very um, clear that every single person on the planet has a special role to play in that process of, of let's call it, you know, global healing. Bob, uh, uh, I want to thank you for coming on, thank you for taking the time. I want to wind it up now, but uh, if somebody listening uh, wants to follow up and, and find out more about A Course in Miracles um, and uh, actually, you know, directly in, uh, engage, uh, what do you suggest? What's the next step for them? Um, you can go to our website, which is um, www.acim.org. If you're, um, a, a lot of people have found that my book, From Plagues to Miracles, is a, uh, an easier intro to the course's philosophy, mm-hmm. and after reading it, they can approach the course understanding it better. Um, you can go to my website, uh, www.fromplaguestomiracles.com. Uh, I must admit I'm a terrible marketer, so I don't update it as often <laughs> as I should, uh, but you'll be able to access the book and find out more about me, and I have a little you know, sample Q&A on there about the book. Um, and there's a lot out there. Um, Gary Renard's book, Disappearance of the Universe, or Marianne Williamson's Return to Love, have been very powerful entries to, a, to the Course's teachings for many people. Uh, set your intention. And, uh, and, and, and see what comes up in your life. Great, great. And um, all that, that's ultimately the best way to learn. Yeah, and all that information will be uh, posted at spiritmatterstalk.com. Beautiful. Phil, any final words from you? No. Thank you, Bob, for joining us. Uh, I wish you all the best in your new position. 
Thank and you. Um, we'll stay in touch, and uh, I'm sure people will be uh, hearing what you have to say and following up. Right, and we, lo- we look so forward, much. We look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you. Anytime, Hi. anytime. It would be great.